So yeah, welcome to uh, another uh, session on this series that we're having about being Christians in a diverse a world of difference and diversity and thinking as we do about how we might be better at becoming the most welcoming and hospitable people um, on the planet. So then we continue with that series today. Thank you, James, for getting us to begin to think there initially about some of our own stereotyping. It's a great story. So from a wonderful book that I love um, called In the Shelter by Patrick Otorma, he writes this. A man asked a question at the end of a retreat once. It was a retreat for Christian people who were uncomfortable or cautious or unsure about how to engage with lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender people. It was a two-day retreat with shared meals, residential accommodation, shared cups of tea, risky conversation and the possibility of human connection. The man who asked the question had introduced himself in his own words as a fundamentalist Christian. At the end of the retreat, the man asked his question. I have a question for the gay people in the room, he began. Since we met yesterday, how many times have my words bruised you? Those were his exact words. He repeated them. The LGBT people in the room, there were a few of us who'd been invited to participate in this project, were silent for a while. Irish people, while I know that we have reputations of quick tempers, are nonetheless polite, especially in a situation like this, where the man's questioning was so disarming. The gay man next to me said, Ah, oh, your grands, don't worry. The man who called himself the fundamentalist Christian said, No, please, I'm asking a question and I want you to answer. How many times since we met together yesterday have my words bruised you? A woman sitting near me started to count on her fingers. Everybody was watching her. She counted on one hand and then on the other, and then said in a quiet voice, I gave up after the first hour. It was a hard truth, and it was a truth that took courage to ask and say. The man with the question continued with another question. Do you mean to say that every time you come to meet people like me, you have to prepare to put up with insult? Yes was the answer. The man who called himself a fundamentalist looked at us and said, I'm glad you told me this. I've learned something. I began to reframe, he goes on, how I understood the word fundamentalist. I was moved by his unflinching capacity to hold himself to his own questioning. He was harsher with himself than any of us were, and his words to himself went deeper into himself because of the integrity of his questioning was matched by the integrity of his willingness to hear and change and respond. I'm not sure who was most repentant, him or me. Welcome then to another step along the way as we look to become the most welcoming and hospitable people on the planet. Welcome here means what happens after we say hello and maybe give somebody a fist bump. Hospitable here means creating a safe space where anyone can be given dignity and love, the dignity and love that they are due as someone made in the image of God. And we're particularly thinking about how God wants us to show this love to those we consider different to ourselves because of their race, their gender, their sexuality, their ability or disability or whatever. 
What we've already done during this series, we've thought about listening well to others who are different from us. I encourage us to read something that's different, a different Christian perspective perhaps. Watch a film that I recommended or there are other things out there. Listen to some podcasts. If you want recommendations, I can help you. I, we thought last time too about acknowledging our fears, that we are fearful, like James so brilliantly put it. You see someone that's different. One of our first emotions is fear. What are they going to do? We talked about casting out our fear. So today we're thinking about you know, looking for help in acknowledging our prejudice and respecting people who we may disagree with. So the focus relates quite a bit to LGBTQ plus people, but as I say every week, these principles apply to us getting with everybody that we might consider to be different from us. LGBTQ people and others in our churches have not always experienced the welcome and hospitality of Christ. And we need to admit and address this reality. Because of our understanding that everyone is made in the image of God, the real challenge for us to see, and there's a whole other talk here and theme here, the real challenge to us is for us to see Christ in another person. Someone who's very different. A goth. What would it be like to see Christ in them? Sometimes then we stereotype people because of their perceived difference from us. The way they dress, the way they wear their hair, their tattoos or piercings or skin colour, their age, who they're holding hands with. Others who we perceive as different from us can cause us in fear and anxiety and prejudice. And it's a short path from that kind of stereotyping thing towards prejudice towards ignoring somebody or passing by or even towards hatred and violence. I wonder though in what ways you've known people stereotype you in one way or another. And if that's the case, maybe that helps you to understand how others may. Maybe they stereotype you because of your personality, a quiet one or a loud one or your height or some hobby that you have, or your attitude towards something. Remember when I was going through the whole selection process for the Church of England, which takes a little while, I was horrified to see hear one senior clergyman, was a clergyman, say, um, oh yeah, you'd be great in the inner city. I remember thinking, why would I be great in the inner city? I wasn't born in the inner city, I was born in a village in South Buckinghamshire. Why do you think that? I've got my suspicions as to why. Brilliant, a black person's applying to be a vicar in the Church of England. Where could we send him to the inner city? I was appalled. I also can think of at least two other occasions when I was asked to leave a prospective or a girlfriend's house whose parents I knew were racially prejudiced. One I can particularly remember is in Stevenage. And uh, I could only go into a house when I'd either gone to bed or whatever. And I was like, we stole in in the evening and parents were in bed. I can still remember to this day the father coming down and telling me to leave the house. We are reading and horrified at the moment by what's going on with a bill that's going through Parliament in Ghana at the moment, up for discussion, which is going to mean extreme prejudice towards those in the LGBT community. And what's horrifying about it is that the Anglican Church are right behind it. Google it. I'll pray about that if I remember later on. It's horrible, awful, awful. Imagine being given the gift to see another as God sees them. 
as a person who is made in God's image, to see Christ in them. Now, what a difference that would make to all of us. So our parable today then. Lord, give us fresh ears for this story today. We've heard it many times. So Jesus has been talking with some people and they've been talking around him and he replies with a story. Actually, sorry, where's the beginning of that reading? One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw a man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked by and looking at him there, he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbour to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, go and do the same. So the expert in the religious law is asking his questions of Jesus, looking to test him. The little conversations happen. The word neighbour is mentioned. wonder how they would understand neighbour and how that would be different maybe for the way that we might understand neighbour. And we can understand it culturally and also in a religious way. Culturally, we will have ideas about who our neighbour is. Maybe someone who lives near us or those whose office is next to ours. Maybe it's somebody we like. But of course there are people who live near us or work in the office next door who we don't like. So maybe for us the term is to do with someone that we have proximity with, whether we like them or we don't like them. We may say what our neighbours are like and get the reply, I don't really know my neighbours. wonder who we consider our neighbours are culturally. When someone says to you, you know, what are your neighbours like? Often we might mean those who live near us, particularly if we're moved somewhere new, perhaps. So in our cultural setting, the neighbours might be someone who's near me or who I may or may not know. 
and who I may or may not like. Jesus is also going to be expanding on the understanding at that time of what neighbour meant in a religious sense as well. In the first century Jewish Palestine, neighbour is defined as per passage in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbour as yourself. And there's a further comment on this too, in the same passage we read, do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in the land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. So this adds up to a neighbour being anyone, someone who is in the same racial, religious, cultural or kinship group at that time with an addition of the foreigner who's travelling through or might be staying with you at that time. We see that the boundaries of love are clearly prescribed and precisely defined. And we then hear, and the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, so who is my neighbour? And then that familiar story. Jewish man goes alone through Jewish territory, it's a desolate though and a dangerous place. He's attacked by bandits, beaten, stripped, robbed and left for dead beside the road. And these mean, this, what's happened there means there's no real easy means to identify him by race, religion, social um, status or accent or anything like that. But all this is important data to people who need to be able to classify take a view, calibrate where another person is racially, religiously, socially, economically, you know, in comparison to them. Particularly if you're a Jewish religious man who's passing by, as there are strict rules about contamination and purity when it comes to things, and animals and people, and particularly somebody who might be dead. I mean, he could be anybody, couldn't he? And we've got to be quite careful about who we give our hospitality and welcome to. We don't know who we might be spending some time with. This person, though, maybe represents just a human being in need of help. So the two Jewish religious officials pass by. Third traveller appears, a Samaritan. I mean, he's already at risk. He's in Jewish country. We know it's a dangerous place. Here his people are hated and uh, suspected. Uh, there would often be violence against them and abuse against them by Jewish people. But he stops and he helps this victim and he pays generously for his care. So Jesus then returns the question, now which of these would you say was a neighbour to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the Samaritan. No, he didn't, did he? Maybe he couldn't bring himself to say that word the one who showed him mercy. Yes, now go and do likewise. This story would have been a massive, massive shock to the Jewish people who were listening to it at the time. Jesus presents a despised outsider, a Samaritan, as a role model to the listening, devout religious Jews for the life that God requires. Can you imagine that? Just sit with that for a moment. They would have thought, Jesus, this, this rabbi, this teacher who knows a thing or two about God and our scriptures, you know, he's going to put before us a model, he's going to teach us more about what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. 
the very last person they'd expect him to use would be the people, one of the people that they hated and despised. And the story presents then faithful, scrupulously observed religion as self-satisfying, self-justifying, short-sighted, merciless and exclusive. For all their rites, rituals, religion, rules and regulations, they miss out on the one thing which is necessary, which is another R. Relationship. You might have said that, I might not have heard you. That is relationship with God and with others, all of whom are to be considered our neighbours. So yes, scandalous to the original listeners. And it needs to be for us too. Where are we finding ourselves in this story? How are we finding ourselves listening to this story today? In the context, the wider context about what we're talking about. It seems as though Jesus collapses the boundaries and the borders that we put up between one another. And he helps us to acknowledge and own our prejudices and dislikes about people we consider to be different. If you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable about this, I'm probably quite pleased about that, really. Maybe Jesus, if he asked those listeners, how are you feeling right now? Maybe they would have felt very uncomfortable, very challenged about their deeply held beliefs about who was in and who was out and who was acceptable and worthy of God's love and who could model his love and for us, in whom may Christ be found? Maybe in a goth on the doorstep. And what if Jesus were to turn to us and say, the night you know the story, what's your reading of it? This parable is called what? Isn't a trick question. It's called the parable of? The Good Samaritan. Can you just have a look through that text there and see where you find the word good in front of the word Samaritan? It's not there, is it? Somehow we've added that word into this very famous story. By adding the word good, what's the danger? What have we done? We've categorised, yeah? We belittled the actual event. In what way, James? You want to say a bit um, more? I mean, just the sense of being good is much more than being good. Right, yeah. Yeah. So much more than just being yeah, good. Risking. Yeah. Risking an awful lot. We, we may also be implying that most Americans are bad. <laughs> say that again. We may be implying that most Samaritans are bad. So, yeah, we may be inclined to think that the rest of Samaritans are bad. Yes, spot on. I'm handing out a few gold stars today. This is fantastic. Yeah, really important point. By adding the word good, we make him an exception. We can still disdain and hate all the other Samaritans because we know what they're like. But this one, you know, he's been all right. Samaritans are usually all hateful and worthless, but, you know, this one, he's all right. As theological teacher, writer and speaker David Runcorn comments on this, he says, that one word, good, leaves us free to be impressed, even inspired, without having to change our worldview at all. In this, we reinforce the boundaries of our own prejudice and exclusion to a story that is precisely intended to dismantle them all. 
Yeah, so we might talk about, you know, actually you're okay, Malk. You're quite a nice black person. The rest of them are utter so-and-sos. Or, yeah, actually speaking to someone, actually you're, you're quite a nice gay person. You know, you're okay. I quite respect you. Or whatever it might be. We can't really imagine saying that, but there's something going on here where we have to recognise that's what we could do. So, as I'm coming into land here, something to celebrate. Central to our faith is a belief that each of us is unique and that each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And that means, to use a common word in one of its intended ways, each of us is awesome. Some of you are looking at me like, well, I'm not really sure, but maybe you just need to turn to the person next to you and just whisper on mouth, you are awesome. Go on, I dare you, go on. <laughs> there is a sense and of mystery and awe about each, about each and every one of us. I mean, any of us who's been married or in a long-term relationship knows that about our partner, don't we? Yeah, we thought we got to know them, but still there's that wonderful air of mystery about them that we never can un completely understand how they work. The principle also applies to all our relationships then with those who are different from us. And here's the thing. We believe that all of us need to reflect deeply on our attitude and behaviour and be able to extend a Christ-like welcome to all people we meet out there and who we may meet in here. So some questions then uh, for us to consider and maybe to discuss if you have opportunity. How do we find out how the things we do and the language we use affects LGBTQ plus people? How are we going to reflect on that? The words that we use, the attitudes that we have, the things that we say when we see particular people on television. Maybe we could reflect and ask ourselves, how might those things be harmful if one of those folk was sat next to me on the sofa or when I'm walking down the street when next to me, when I look at someone and think those thoughts or say those things? So how do we welcome people as they are rather than welcome them in the hope that they will become and behave like us? So, may God help us to be the most welcoming and hospitable people on the planet. May we be renewed in our understanding of the welcome that God in Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit has given to me and to you. In spite of our complexity and sin, may we, the baptised people of God, we followers of Jesus, provide a loving space for each of us, for every person to encounter God's transforming love and hope. Amen. Amen. We're going to respond um, in a word of saying sorry that I'm going to lead us in in a moment and then over to Catherine as she and the musicians lead us uh, in our sung worship this morning. Can I invite us to stand together? <clears throat>